Yeah. Um, and I think for Judd and I, it's always like, that's always in some ways more interesting because like, I can't relate to being one of the most brilliant comedians to ever live, right. but I can yeah. relate to being a human being, you know, and, yeah. and trying to be an artist and trying to, you know, hold a family life together and trying to like, navigate the world of ups and downs and failures and you know lack of confidence you know all, all, all the those kinds of things that i think is is engaging to me as an audience member this is tonight Tonight. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. Nice to be here. How are you doing? Great I'm good. Are, are you supposed to give out the instructions for a speakeasy on your show? Right? That, that I know. Kinda... <laughs> I, I suck, man. I, I know. The whole... I was. I asked you before we got on if there's anything you want to cut, let me know. I think I need to cut myself. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the people at that place are probably going to be bummed that... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, really cover, but yeah, I'm such, that's how much of a nerd I am. I'm like, yeah, you hit one, <laughs> and then a lady comes in, <laughs> and the secret word is yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm pushing my glasses up the whole time. I'm telling the story. <laughs> oh goddamn, I blew it, man. I'm never gonna be let let into any place cool again. I I almost did the same thing. So you know, you know, um, you know Tony Woods, right? No. Oh, okay. So, Good though. It, He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, can we cut that um, part out where I say I don't know Tony Woods? Yeah, yeah. We'll cut it. Yeah, <laughs> it was brilliant. I love. We'll Tony. go right back in. As you know, what? As soon as I remind, I bet you. It's okay. So he is. He's basically like Chappelle's mentor. Okay. Um, and uh, um, so, but I know him because he's a, you know he's always in DC and he travels everywhere. But like the, I I performed in DC. I got to work with him, and the first time I met him, he took me out. And if you go out with Tony, you're not coming home. Like you might not come home at all. But like you go out with Tony, and it's a fucking blast, right? But he took me to this like underground club in DC. And again, nerdy me, I was like, you know, the next day I'm like, wow, we went to this awesome play, you know. And everyone's <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Like, play it cool, man. Keep it, you know, keep it, keep it on the DL. Like, relax. And I was like, oh, all right, sure. You yeah, have the no loosest problem. lips for any Italian I know, John. Loosest lips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i should be i should technically be whacked but i'm it's, <laughs> it's not but you know what i think they just think i'm like you know slightly at like a little special like i don't know you know what i mean they're like they're like i don't know what word to use right there but i was just like you know i think they that's just it you know because italians are like they're um you know what do you call it superstitious so they probably think it'll be bad luck to murder me i think that's my only advantage you you met me michael i'm super short I, I wouldn't uh, know, but I would know nothing about Italian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, let me ask you this: as Italians who don't look or act Italian, do you find right. do you do you have like a large family who is like one section of it is like true Italian, like cross? Oh you yeah, know, devil's yeah. horn. But, but how does one act Italian? Oh, um, 
Oh man. <laughs> He's a D. Good. Uh we 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 go for every question block on the street. Uh we destroyed turtles. Uh that's <laughs> what I'm told. <laughs> Mushrooms are a big thing. Um yeah, I don't know, man. I I well, I mean, when I think of my family in Brooklyn, they're all very like hanging out on the street corner, uh um, you know, guinea tea. Yep. Uh, and I, I had a cousin who sold like bootleg sweat sweatpants and yes. uh, on 34th Street that's, on the back of a van. So yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely, dude. That's my. I mean, your cousin might be. Is it his name? Louis. My <laughs> uncle Louis, legitimately would like. So this is this is Tom always gets like little snippets of my family. Like, I love these stories. Yeah. He has some of my favorite stories. So my uncle Louis was like notorious for just selling bootleg shit out of the back of his truck because he went to so he went to jail when he was younger, spent a long, spent, spent a bit of time in prison, broke out, fled to Hawaii, came back because he found God, and as you do and when yeah. you're in Hawaii, and then turned himself in, did his time, came back out, born again Christian, sold bootleg shit. I'm not sure what the connection is. <laughs> That's the path. So, so and, he, and he like really like hustled, man. He was great. Everybody loved him. Um, but he would, but he sold my family these, and they all knew it was knockoff, but they bought it anyway. So it was like these knockoff Gucci bags or whatever. And literally on the same day, everyone's per like just snapped, everything broke. Oh, right, right. <laughs> just, everyone was out, and they were like, What the fuck? like clockwork, and it was crazy. And it was always at the back of his trunk, he was like, I got this for you, I got that for you, I got the wife, I got the high definition. You know, he'd always talk in these terms that yeah. we didn't even sure were like. I went to school and I was like, I don't even know what the fuck he's saying, but he's really, <laughs> really confident. So right, I believe right. him. Yeah. So that's, that's right. what I meant. Now that I'm backtracking. Okay. So that's how you act at time. Can you and I give a master class on, on acting Italian? On, on how to be a, a lousy Italian. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get into a fight with somebody over sauce and gravy. Right. And, um, yeah, and spill food on your shirt. Did your family call it sauce or gravy? We never uh, said gravy. It was always sauce. Yeah, sauce. Yeah, always sauce. sauce. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and if it, yeah. they only like a couple of them would flip out if somebody came in. I remember dating a girl, and she was she said something about gravy, and my grandmother was like, "I'll fucking kill her." Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> "Relax." Yeah. Uh, I think it was mostly because she was Puerto Rican, but other than that, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> with it. Yeah, I'm just outing my family. I'm sorry, I didn't even ask you a question, and I'm just like, no, my no, family. Not not that Troublesome. New York Italians are racist. Yeah. No, you're right. Thank <laughs> you right. For, for say covering my own ass. You're like, John, reel it in. Relax. <laughs> what happened? Um, but uh, so I, dude, I just, I want to congratulate you because the documentary is uh, absolutely fucking incredible. Every comedian I know like watched it. I'm, I'm so pumped that I got to watch it beforehand. So thank you. I've got to thank Kelly. I thanked her a million times already, but I'll text her again. Um, but like, I got to go to the, uh, premiere i get to see the second half of it and uh it was just like one of the best comedy documentaries i've ever seen oh thanks thanks yeah i mean it was when we started it off we were just kind of terrified because it's like you know you can count on one hand the like legends of comedy in a way you know mm -hmm. and, and to be tasked with you know doing a film about george telling his story and also having you know, the obvious luxury of, you know, HBO and we've got two parts, so we've got plenty of time. So if you leave something out, you have no excuse. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, and ju just the responsibility of that was really kind of daunting. But, um, you know, we we uh, were really happy with with how it came out and how people are responding to it. Um, yeah, it's exciting. It's so so I mean, do you ever get it when you're doing something like that and 
even though you know you've got enough time because i feel like you got i mean you never have enough time but yeah yeah, yeah. well not like i i think i remember talking to judd uh the uh, that night and he was basically saying it could have gone like you guys could have made it a longer film like you yeah. literally had so much footage oh, but yeah. does and that there, there are you? things that aren't in it you know oh, wow. but but i i actually I, I'm one of those people that, I mean, to me, it's always like, like, is it the right length? It's not about like, is it too long? Is it too short? It's, it's like, does, am I engaged throughout? And right, I yeah. think with, with this, you know, we, we had longer cuts and things and, and, and it's just, it's all about the, the overall pacing for me as a viewer, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think as a filmmaker too, that it's always like, if you've, if, if you've lost the thread of the narrative and you mm -hmm. haven't, if you're not like working to keep me engaged. And I, I think the other thing too, um, in terms of, again, like the kind of like just feeling the weight of, of making the George Carlin documentary, um, what exactly what you said, you know, that you sat next to somebody who didn't really know anything about Carlin. Like yeah. I'm always, and I've done a lot of kind of biographical um, films and it's like, I'm not after the super fans, you know, I don't, I don't care if the super fans are super engaged because we've already got them, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're engaged. I get excited about like that person who mm -hmm. doesn't know Carlin and walks out saying like, wow, I really, now I, now I know about him and now I'm really into him. You know, that, right, yeah. that that's, that's where my head is always at. Um, so with this in particular and other, and other projects like that, what are the key things that you look for to get those people in? Like when you're going through someone's life, are you like, okay, yeah. this will capture them, this part, this part. I, I think it's just like with anything, it's, it's story and character, you know? Mm. Um, and, and it, and I'm always, always pushing narrative momentum and, and, and making sure that there's some reason to care, you know, right. and, and also just, the, you know, the relatable things with people, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, one thing that we did with this film um, that I think, or that I was hearing from people um, that they were kind of surprised that there was so much about his personal life. Um, right. And that was the thing, especially, and for like the the comedy nerds and and big Carlin acolytes, that was the stuff that they were sort of citing as being surprising. Yeah. Um, and I think for Judd and I, it's always like that's always in some ways more interesting because, like, I can't relate to being one of the most brilliant comedians to ever live. Right. But I can yeah. relate to being a human being, you know, and yeah. and trying to be an artist and trying to, you know, hold a family life together and trying to like navigate the world of ups and downs and failures and, you know, lack of confidence, you know, all, all, all the, those kinds of things that I think is, is engaging to me as an audience member. And I, and I, I think, um, I, I, you know, if, if, if I can stay engaged, then hopefully, you know, somebody else will, you know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's you're you're right. Like I even as I've been doing stand up for 16 years, but I love seeing everybody's in between point or everybody yeah. what they're doing in between doing it. Yeah. Because even when like it's not when working, I, you know. Yes, when it's not yeah. working. Yeah. Because even when I was like, you know, like younger and kind of starting out, people always skip over for some reason, you know, the middle part. It's always I did this, then I did this, and then mm -hmm. I got famous. Yeah. And then you're just like, yeah, what what did you what happened? Right on the way there though anything yeah. nothing so, yeah. <laughs> like, the South park underpants gnomes right like, yeah yeah, yeah. 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 i'm like what, what is yeah. going on there um so 
I mean, what, one of the things I'd like to know too, because it's just trying to organize anything. Like even when I'm trying to edit my own videos and stuff like that, like keeping stuff in my head, even for a short video is feels like an all day fucking process. Right. Mm -hmm. And you had to direct this whole film with somebody's life that had so much their life. Do you ever get a moment? Like, is it any rest? Cause I know you have to do stuff, probably work together collaboratively in the studio, but like when you're home, are you still going through it in your head? Are you still oh, yeah. putting pieces together? Yeah. Like, how do you do it? Most definitely. Um, well, look, I mean, you know, it, it, Judd and I get all the credit for the film, but, um, you know, our editor, Joe Beshenkovsky, is absolutely brilliant. It would mm -hmm. not be the film that it is without Joe. Joe is, he's incredible. We worked with him on the Zendaya with Gary Shandling. Yeah. He, he cut uh, Kurt Cobain montage of Heck and Jane. And I mean, he, he's, he's a total genius. Right. And so, you, you know, he, he was our editor. Um, okay. and so he did an enormous amount of work, but in terms of having your brain in it all the time, the way that I tend to like, it is kind of a 24 seven thing that it's like, you can't, you, 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 you never leave it. And, and, um, you know, with this particular film, there was always more stuff to watch, always more <laughs> things to consider or go back to and rewatch and think how one thing could fit with another or what was important. And um, so, you know, you're always just kind of thinking about it and you do, and, and during COVID too, you know, we, we cut this remotely and even, you know, half the interviews, if not more than half, but I did remotely. Wow. Um, and so you're kind of, you know, I think it's the same thing with any work now that it's like, there's the double-edged sword of like, oh, I don't need to go into an office, but I've n I never leave the office. Right. You know? So um, that was definitely true for me on this film um, that I, I was just thinking about it nonstop. You know, yeah. um, ex the only times I sort of wasn't was when I was working. I, I did a couple of other projects while this was going on. Oh my god! Um, I, I, I well, I mean, not not. Well, part of it was because COVID kind of pushed a bunch of things. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. um, and so I was just going from one thing to the other. Um, and it mostly worked out. But like last summer, we did um, Ricky Velez's stand-up special. Uh, oh, yeah. Everything. And so that that happened like during the edit of, of Carlin. And I think, I think wow. we we're still doing a couple of pickup interviews too. Wow. Um, so, you know, you, you figure out how to compartmentalize your brain, but yeah, it kind of doesn't ever shut off, you know? Yeah. Um, certainly on this one, it didn't. You mentioned it because I love the Gary Shandling documentary too. And I think oh, yeah. this, was there stuff you were trying to mimic? Would you have that in mind when you were doing it? Because that was the first time I really saw like with Shandling's documentary, somebody go really in depth with another comedian, but it's because, you know, um, it seems like you guys really care. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't seem like it's done kind of like, I like the uh, I hate to compare the two, but I, I watched the Robin Williams one. Um, mm -hmm. there, were, there was a couple. There was one done by his wife that I didn't really care for because um, mm -hmm. that seemed like it was about something different and not necessarily about him. But then I watched another one. It wasn't too, I think it was called Come Inside My Mind, which wasn't mm -hmm. um, I, I enjoyed, but I still didn't get the the depth that the Gary Shandling one had and the George Carlin one. It seemed like there was just something missing. I, don't, I couldn't explain what you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um but doing those working on those two did you learn from the shandling one what you wanted to add to the carlin did you treat them as two completely different entities totally different but i could see where there would be some overlap um mm -hmm. as a viewer yeah. i mean um you know i didn't direct the uh shandling film i, I was just a producer on it okay. but um you know it, it, same editor same 
graphic motion. I was going to say, because stylistically, it's very yeah, much... It's, Von Edelman um, did, did all the animation and graphics on both. Wow. Um, and uh, Joe Beshenkovsky edited both. Hmm. It's Judd. I'm in, I was involved on Shandling. He and I, you know, we co-directed this one. So, um, you know, a lot of, uh, there was definitely a lot of overlap. A couple of the same producers, uh, Amanda Glaze. Um, so there were, like, I, I see why they would feel kind of linked. Um, but yeah. to, to what you're saying, though, I, I think the intention in both was the same. It was like, let's really dig as deep as we possibly can and try and uncover the things about these people um, that we find interesting, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the spirituality of both of them, the, the humanness of both of them, how they made their way in the world, their strengths and weaknesses, their failures, their, their insecurities. Um, so I, I think those thematically, um, I think are I could see why why you see the the connection between them because yeah. is, we're interested in the same things, you know. Um, mm -hmm. well, which is really cool that there is because it's almost like and I'm not like I don't know if you guys are planning on doing it or if I'm jumping ahead, but like it, if you guys were to keep going with comedy documentaries, this is it's kind of like a thematic thing with like it's almost like it could be a series. Like the first one is the Shandling kind of thing, and you got the Carlin, and I don't yeah. know where you would go to next. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know what we you know. Who uh, I guess somebody else passed away. Uh, you know, or maybe there's there's Kilbert, there's Lou. Feel bad like dropping names now that are people that are that are no longer with us, but it yeah. is like I think people want more of it because they saw this and literally the conversation afterward was like, oh man, we got to see them do something on, and then it was like somebody named yeah. their favorite like Louis Anderson or you know, whoever. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you guys are thinking about doing like a, a run of these, but oh my God. It, it would be great. We, 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 you know, we're always looking for new stuff and, and, you know, I, I, in both of both the Shandling film and the Carlin film, um, you know, one thing that, that we were very, very lucky to have and that really helped dictate what the films became. And I'll, I'll speak more about Carlin cause, cause mm. I'm more involved in it, but, um, you know, Carlin, he, George, was, he was a hoarder and he kept everything and mm. the longevity of his career. So, you know, from the combination of, you know, television appearances, interviews that he gave over the course of like, you know, 50 years. Yeah. Plus all of the personal stuff. And he, you know, a lot of stuff we got through the normal archival channels. Um, but some stuff, you know, there, there's a couple of pieces in the film that like, didn't exist in an archive anywhere. It was just George had like recorded it on a, and, and some of the quality completely sucks. And you can right. see one particular one in part one that the, it's a black and white clip that it's, it's uh, George and his wife, Brenda um, on a talk show. And uh, it's, it's really terrible. Like I, I worry that it literally that it couldn't do seizures. It, I mean, it was like we had to do a ton of work <laughs> on it because it's, it's flippy and stuff. Right. And um uh, but we only had that because he recorded it on some like early VCR because he was kind of a, a, a techie guy and into yeah. and stuff. And so, um, you know, having a very rich archival uh, trove, including the handwritten letters and notes and, and all of that stuff, um, really, did, I mean, he, had, he recorded himself as a child in the 40s. And, yeah. You know, on a, on a tape recorder. And we had that shit. Right. You know, so that going into it, knowing that we had this huge, massive amount of stuff um, really, really 
help dictate the form of the film in a lot of ways. We knew that we could let George tell his own story um, and not just in public, um, you know, interview appearances on Johnny Carson, but we had the tapes that he had, you know, 23 hours of, of tapes that he had recorded in the early 90s um, wow. as sort of research preparation for an autobiography that he didn't end up writing, mm -hmm. but that came out eventually as the book Last Words. Um, yeah. So it was like, you, you know, 20 something hours of, um, of recordings of him and Tony Hendra talking. Um, and wow. it's just done in this very, and you hear it, there's a ton of it in the film. Um, where he's not being like presentational George, like talking to an audience. He's just mm -hmm. talking, you know, and it had a different quality to it. So, you know, we knew that we had all these incredible assets, for lack of a better word, to kind of shape into the into the movie. And I know uh, you guys talked a little bit about it during the Q&A afterward, but I mean, we've had Kelly on the show here. Is it, it's got to be way easier to have somebody who's so open about their life and their parents like working with you like side by side because she she was i mean i was one of the things i was kind of surprised with because you never know who people want to talk too much about their parents if they're famous or you know dive too mm -hmm. deeply into their lives but she seems to be just very much at peace with everything and also just like it's super kind of proud and and like knows where she comes from and um, you know, is that, is that like essential? Like, are you feel like you're never going to get that again when you're working on another documentary? <laughs> well, I, I, to have somebody who has thought so deeply and processed her life the way Kelly has, I mean, Kelly had already, you know, she wrote a book, yeah. a, a memoir. She, she did a one woman show. She's a, 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 a psychologist, mm -hmm. like a Jungian psychologist and, and has, and has done like decades of personal work. So she has processed her life and her story in a way that, um, you know, it's very, uh, she, she understands it and, and, and has thought very, very deeply about it and has also communicated it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so having, having access to her, um, to interview her for the film was really super helpful, you know, um, and to contextualize things that were going on in, in the family, um, that really nobody else who was living was present for um, was really, really helpful. But yeah, right. she, she she has thought about it all so much, yeah. you know, um, that, uh, yeah, it was, it, she, she was a great, a great interviewee. Yeah. And you guys got to get, uh, which I thought was so great, you guys got George's brother. Um, Patrick, yeah. Pat, yeah, Patrick. Yeah. But that yeah. was during COVID, though, right? You had to film all those scenes outside. It was the very first interview we did. Um, wow. He was living up in the Catskills, and uh, you know we knew he wasn't getting any younger, so it, he he was you know a high priority to to make sure that we got him. So we shot that before vaccines or anything. So yeah, it was all outside. Um, wow. And uh, we you know I, I wanted to, and we just we just couldn't because it was it was just too uh, dangerous at that time. But you know, he talked about how he, um, in his house, which we, we shot the interview with him right outside of his house. Mm. He was telling about how, you know, every morning he, he would get up and he had a picture of George and he'd put on some music and smoke a joint and blow the smoke on the picture of George every morning. And I was like, Oh fuck, we got to shoot that. But we just couldn't because oh, man, yeah, it was just too, yeah. too dangerous. Um, uh, but yeah, we were, it was, it was great having Patrick, in the film um, as well. And Sally Wade too, George's yeah. second wife, 
getting her uh, perspective on things and having her participate was really fantastic. So we got the, I think we, we were able, you know, George was a guy who, he, you know, a lot of people knew him and a lot of people, uh, you know, he, he had, he was friendly with everybody, but not too many people knew him deeply, like very, right. very few. And that was something that we heard again and again, that it was like, he was always nice, but I didn't really know him. You know, he, he wasn't the guy who hung out all the yeah. time. Well, yeah. The, well, the coolest thing about it too was, um, I love you did, I think it was towards the, the end, maybe you did a montage of everybody kind of saying something in particular about George, like what kind of person he was or what he thought of the world. And, um, and everybody had something different to say about him, which I think speaks to like all of us, everybody has yeah. a different side. Like nobody has one clear view of maybe who you, maybe one person might, you know what I mean? But nobody really, everybody gets a different piece of you. And I think that's okay. Totally. I, th I think so too. Yeah. Um, I, I did uh, about two years ago, I made a film about Patrice O'Neill and he yeah. was a guy who, you know, hung out all the time. And that was, you know, a big part of that film was like talking to his friends who spent a lot of time with him and, mm -hmm. and, different people got different versions of Patrice. And, and I think that was, that was true with George, but he was, he was quite consistent in the, you know, he was always nice to everybody was mm -hmm. what we heard. You know, I think he enjoyed being kind of a, an elder statesman um, later on in his career. Um, yeah. But people didn't really seem to know him intimately with right. a few, very few exceptions, you know, Sally yeah. being one, Patrick being another Kelly, obviously. So, um, yeah, I, th I, th and, and Jerry Hamza as well, his, his manager and best friend. Oh, he was hilarious in the documentary. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So funny. That guy. Yeah. Um, so, so I think we got like all the people who are still living who really knew him well. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like, uh, cause I always think about stuff like this too. We're like, do you feel a sense of urgency sometimes when there's somebody that you really want to make a documentary about and you're like, yeah, these people aren't going to be around much longer and their friends are, can we, uh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Patrick, George's brother passed mm -hmm. away about a month before the film came out. Yeah. Um, Jeff Wald, who's in the film, uh, he, he died about a year ago. So right. yeah, you know, you're always, um, I mean, it, it, it sounds, you know, morbid, but like, I mean, you know, when we knew we had to start shooting because the film was commissioned like right when COVID hit, you know, so oh, wow. we, uh, yeah. And so we were like everybody trying to figure out how do you do, you know, how do you shoot? How do you, you know, and, but we knew that like, you know, getting Patrick to sit down and to talk to him was really critical, mm -hmm. um, for, you know, sadly for the, you know, the reason that you're saying, yeah. right. What do you, how, what's the process like for choosing? Like, cause you had, um, you know, yeah, John Stewart, you had Stephen Colbert, you had basically a lot of the key players. Um, because that was that one interview with John Stewart interviewing him, which I thought was also a great piece of footage. Yeah, it's nice. Which is just yeah. it's so beautiful because it really is. It's like crystal, it's clear, it's you know, he's yeah. at the top of his game too, and, and whatever. Totally. So that was kind of nice to see. Um, but and what was the process play, like? I urge people to watch that whole thing on YouTube. It's great. It's uh, I, yeah, I haven't I have to watch the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's on YouTube. It's it's the Aspen Comedy Festival. I can't remember what year, sometime in the nineties. Oh, okay, um, wow. It's, it's well, nice. Did John have the Daily Show yet at that point? No, it was before the Daily I, Show. I was going to say, he looked yeah. really, really young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's crazy, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think at the end of the thing, he said something like, um, or maybe I just saw this clip randomly or something, but he, but George said something like, you know, and uh, I can't wait. Go, to... He said something like, you know, you, I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Or yeah. Places. He basically like gives him a, a real stamp of approval and encouragement. It's really yeah. nice. I think... I, 
I might be totally wrong about this, but I think it was like right around the time that the Jon Stewart show on MTV had gotten canceled. I think it was like oh. right after that. I wow. think, I, again, I, I might be totally wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, he was definitely like, way around. I was like, there's, yeah, because yeah. he still had a different look, like look too. So like, I don't think it's yeah, really the leather jacket. And, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was fun. It was so cool to see that though. Um, so yeah. So what was the like? How did you guys figure out exactly who you wanted? Because I feel like he touched everyone's life. So you're like, it's very got to be very, you know, selective. Yeah, it was it was hard um, because you can't think of a comedian who wasn't influenced by him. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there were a few people like Paul Reiser, for example. We knew he uh -huh. had that story that personal story with george yeah um where uh, if people haven't seen the film um well he paul will tell it better than i did but when paul was a kid george went to his house because his sister who was in college interviewed him for her college radio station and so riser tells this funny story that i'm not going to ruin um <laughs> but so he, like that was one that it was like okay yeah great paul riser might not be the obvious person to include but mm -hmm. he knew that, that story was there so yeah um, and he's a great storyteller. I mean, great storyteller. Just, it, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then there's some people who the influence is more obvious, like John Stewart, like Stephen mm -hmm. Colbert, like Seinfeld. Um, yeah, you know, uh, and we also wanted to have a, a diversity of ages and and uh, gender and race and. Um, because you know, it, to to me and and to Judd too, you know, age was very important because it is like you know, George touched so many different. He he's influenced so many generations now of comics. Right. I think almost anybody. I mean, the fact that Stephen Wright, you know, I mean, that's not somebody who I would immediately think Stephen Wright's right. one of my all time favorites. He was the first stand up comic I ever saw. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's um, great, man. And uh, in no, in Utica, New York, in uh, 1990. Wow. And uh, yeah, oh, I, I told him that at the interview, and he was like, "Man, that's really something for a 14-year-old to hear." And, uh, and I was like, "It's like it was the greatest, you know." Um, yeah. But uh, you know, you wouldn't immediately think that that uh, that Stephen Wright would be influenced by Carlin, but he right. he was his favorite, you know, yeah. he was hero. So. It, and I think part of it too is because you know George had so many different styles over the years that like his DNA is in so many different comics. Um, so we wanted to, you know, have somebody you know as young as like Sam J, you know, right. it, to represent like that generation and Hassan Minhaj. You know, it's like yeah. okay, these younger people who, I mean, Sam saw him as a kid because her mom was into Carlin, but like Hassan mm -hmm. says in the film that like. He only knew him as the guy from Bill and Ted's, you know? Right, right. Um, but once he really dug in and discovered what George did, it, you know, was life-changing. Yeah. So, you know, we had long lists of people and, um, uh, you know, but to have people from ranging from Robert Klein to Sam Jay was like that broadness of it was something that we we thought would, would be good, you know? Right. Yeah, I'll tell you something semi, it's not even embarrassing, but I mean, when my, um, I felt <clears throat> kind of connected in ways people were talking about getting a George Carlin album or like hearing him like late at night when they were too young to listen to him. Like it was kind of mm -hmm. scandalous at the time. You know what I mean? You flip over to one side of the album and hear the dirty shit. And, yeah. But when I was a kid and there was Napster and I had AOL for the first time, man, I was ripping car like, like George, like that was like, I was like just stealing that shit. Like, <laughs> like crazy, like, right. you know, in the middle well, of the which, night. Which stuff? 
Um, all of his, all of his album, all of his old stuff, the, the, like, the old stuff, like from the seventies, the old stuff from the seventies. Cause people you wouldn't, wouldn't nerd, yeah. man. You oh, dude, nerd. that's great. I love 100%, it. 100%. Yeah. All that <laughs> stuff. And it was, you know, what's cool about that is, um, I would go into school then the next day and have the best fucking material ever <laughs> because no one else was listening, you know, what, what, you know yeah. everyone's listening to fucking Britney Spears and they're watching whatever yeah, you know, right. the, the TV show. And I'm like, guys tits man yeah Bloody yeah and, and that that was a, a cool thing to like figure out like when different people got into him you know yeah um so because he did have he had so many different iterations of his of his comedy well um, that's the thing was seinfeld was a thing when i, I remember when i was like you know starting to insane him and stuff like that i could not think those guys were farther apart you know what i mean i would be like oh he probably doesn't and then i remember hearing Seinfeld talk about him on like Larry King or something like that. And he was, you know, describing just his wordplay and stuff like that. I was like, Oh my God, that's where the connection is. Like, and the precision of writing, the precision yeah. of language. Um, yeah. I, I got to work with Seinfeld uh, a few years ago. I directed his um, special Jerry before Seinfeld for, for Netflix. Oh my God. I and, even, um, that's great, man. It was an awesome oh, special. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, and watching him work and and going back to his old material, I mean, the, the conceit of that of that special was that all of the material that he did in it was stuff that he had originally performed prior to his first Tonight Show appearance. Right. And but we don't really reveal that until the end of the the show. Mm -hmm. And so what he was doing was going back to his old material and you know, he he would work it out at, at Gotham Comedy Club in New York. Um, and we'd go in and, and he would do this. And he, he was he was figuring out the stuff that that worked now and how to make slight adjustments to it to feel more new, you know. Um, but the the adjustments were so minor and oftentimes it was literally verbatim from the yellow legal pad that he had written it on in, you know, 1979. Wow. Um, and it's still played and it's still funny, you know, yeah. because of that precision of writing. And I think that that's where I see the two of them, uh, as well as, you know, some of the observational stuff, you know, late seventies, early eighties, Carlin, um, you know, dissecting words and dissecting uh, phrases in terms of phrase and language. I, I hear that in Seinfeld a lot personally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you just reminded me of something because I remember when that Seinfeld special came out, he had the original notes. You know, he I think he posted yep. them on his. Yeah, I and, wonder. And they're in the the special. We laid them all out on. Yes. Yeah, it's so yeah. cool. But like that is as somebody who's a, you know doing this kind of stuff and a, basically a documentarian and all. It's do you find the digital stuff easier or do you much rather prefer the tangible? Because I feel like my generation has too much shit. Like there's like we've I've. I have 30,000 photos on my fucking phone. I don't know what they're like. It's stupid. I'm too, and I can't, it's dumb. I don't need them all. I don't even know what they are, but like, I can't imagine somebody having to go through it. Sometimes I'm like, God, I'm going to die. I hope they just toss this fucking thing away. You know, <laughs> like, like if anything happens, like I hope nobody's going through shit. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing because, um, and I, I think we don't quite have the answer to it yet. You know, um, mm. when you go back to, and on, on the Carlin film, all of his his notes and things like that. Mostly, we were working with digital scans already, because oh. the National Comedy Center had already sort of processed and organized wow. a lot of his archives. Mm -hmm. So that was a step that we didn't have to take. Um, 
but you know, we're still, but there were some, there were some letters and things that, that were discovered during the, the making of this film. Um, you're, you're looking at everything, excuse me, you're looking at everything digitally anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think that that really makes a huge difference, but to your point about like having 30,000 photos on your phone, yeah, you know, George didn't have a phone. Right, right. Or, or, you know, much later in life, but I'm saying, you know, when, when he yeah. was your age, he didn't have a, a phone. So the we you're not dealing with the the quantity of stuff. And as a documentarian who works with archival material on a lot of projects, like it is kind of, you know, I wonder what it's going to be like in 10 years when we're when when the norm is you know doing making films about subjects who were alive during the the digital age you know yeah and that's um, it and that they don't have any it's almost like the star wars thing where there's like there's no paper in this universe and you're like fuck right. really that's yeah. going to be exhausting yeah but don't you but, think there'll be so much more in depth like you'll see their personal conversations and thoughts through text message it's pretty it's creepy almost to think yeah. that somebody's yeah. going to stare through a different you know glass at you well, it's gonna it's gonna be both, I think, you know, because like there's gonna be the instances where like somebody has access to the phone and hard drive, mm -hmm. and then there's gonna be instances where you don't, and then you don't have anything, right? You yeah. know, like so you'll either have fifty thousand photos, at, yeah. or or you'll have like almost nothing, right? You know? And that yeah. was actually something on the the Patrice O'Neill film. Because, you know, his sort of heyday of his career was sort of during that transition. And th we had so few photos. And I remember, you know, saying, talking to Bill Burr, who was an EP on it, and saying, like, like, just begging him, like, dude, like, where are the fucking photos of you guys hanging out? He was like, man, if anybody brought a camera, they, you know, we would have made fun of them forever. Like, we wouldn't bring a camera to the club. But now yeah. everybody's got one in their pocket, you know? Yeah. So it, it's... I think I think time will tell like what effect the digital age has on on this kind of filmmaking. You know? But to that point, I'm that guy though. Like I ha that's why I have thirty thousand because I do want to document everything. Because even if it might be, you know, I, I feel like. I'll be like, I'll sift through it later, which obviously clearly right, I don't, right. but like, but you know, but I'm like, Oh, I want to take memories and, and pictures of, of people and stuff. Cause now my friends and I are older and they're actually asking, right. They're like, well, Hey, <laughs> here's the tip though. If, if you're looking to document for the future, mm -hmm. take pictures, take candids. Don't do a bunch okay. of arm around the person. To, right. It's very useless in a documentary. Yeah, I can't. Really I, I, I agree with you. Like a moment of actual life happening. Yeah, man, I we, love those. We had people, you know, sending us photos because we put out a little thing on online soliciting pictures and stuff. You know, because mm -hmm. you can you, you can never have too many. And mostly, what people would send is like, "Oh, here's a picture of me and George yeah, you know, <laughs> after a show, like you know, the fan picture." And it's like that's lovely. It's a wonderful memory for you, but it's yeah, nobody, yeah. Yeah. Did you, when you were a kid, I mean, cause this is a very specific thing like that. I wish like I had the ability to, to do. Cause I think it's, I, I love documentaries. I think it's fascinating, especially when it's about a comic or somebody whose life is so, you know, filled with just monumentous occasions or moments. But like, uh, were you like that when you were younger? Could you like literally see things and put stuff together? Are you that analytical all the time? You know what I mean? Like I, cause I know a guy who's an accountant, but he's amazing. Um, 
he used to he used to kind of dabble in stand up back in the day for a little bit and then went to accounting. But he's got a little bit of the comedy mind and the accounting mind. So he would come to certain gigs and literally describe out like what you were saying in shorthand real quick. Really? And he's just got this and he's like, OK, yeah, you're or, you know, you're organized. You organized it this way the first time you organized it this way the second time. And he would just do that for a bunch of us in the, in the very beginning. And I was like, that is the I wish I could do that. That's the craziest thing. But were you like that when you were younger, too? Right. Not really. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I was. No, wow. I mean, I, I do have to do that now, you know, as, as part of my job and especially like when working with comics, like I'll do exactly what that guy was <laughs> did for you, you know? Yeah. Writing it's, out the order. It's a very specific that. gift. It's like, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question. So we've been all about the George Carlin document. I want to know a little bit more about you. Like where, how did you get to this point in your journey? Like, where did it all start out? Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I was a kid, I, I just wanted to be a filmmaker. You know, I wanted to be Martin Scorsese or so, you know, and then I sort of fell into documentary. I grew up in central New York. And um, when I was in high school, I grew up in a really small town. Um, we know, you know, I was super into movies, but, you know, it was before streaming and stuff. And, and I, I, we didn't have an art house nearby. We'd only get like, you know, the big, uh, you know, Hollywood movies and stuff, but I, I was a film nerd. And uh, uh, there was a, a documentary called Brothers Keeper that came out in 1992. And um, it was actually made, it was filmed right near where I grew up. And so the filmmakers self-distributed it and they knew there was a local audience for it. So it played at a movie theater near me, which right. was wow. a rarity for something off the beaten path like that, like a documentary to, to play in my town or the like two towns over. And so I went to go see it and I absolutely loved it. It changed my uh, view of what a documentary was. I didn't really much know what documentaries were. Um, and I ended up uh, meeting, the, one of the filmmakers was there. Um, it was made by this guy's Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. Bruce passed away a couple of years ago, but Bruce was at this screening and it was my first time ever meeting a real live filmmaker, You know, the, a guy doing what I dreamed of doing. And he was like super nice to me and was like, oh, if you ever, you know, end up in New York, give me a call. Mm. So a few years later, I was at NYU and I tracked him down at a screening of their next film, a film called Brothers Keeper. Um, and I met his partner, Joe Berlinger. And I basically just went up to them and was like, can I work for you for free? You know, can I? And they were like, yeah. Nice. <laughs> so Holy shit. I, I started interning for them. Uh, and uh, that led to a full time job and da da da. And so that kind of just, Snowball. That's, that's how I got into it. Yeah. And then I connected with Judd about 10 years ago. I was directing an episode of this show called Iconoclasts on the Sundance channel. Oh, dude, that's a, I did not know you did that. That's a great show. Yeah. I only, I only directed two episodes. I worked on a couple of other ones. Um, but one that I directed was with, it was with Judd. It was with Judd and Lena Dunham. Oh, wow. And I met there and we just kind of hit it off and we stayed in touch afterward and um, started working together. So we, yeah. That's awesome. what was the other one you directed? Pardon? What oh, was the other uh, it was a it was uh, Seth MacFarlane and Nora Jones. Oh wow, that was a good yeah. one too. That was the same same. Yeah, but I, also, I, I produced on a couple like the I produced the one with Eddie Vedder and Laird Hamilton, which was one of the funnest shoots. I've oh ever. man, yeah, I watched Maui that whole series. It was, it was great. Oh really? I was oh. bummed. They, yeah, I was bummed they canceled. I love stuff like that. Anything, any, anything that has to do. Oh man, it was so yeah. cool. Yeah. Did they, yeah. did they really like, did it, and I'm just going to ask, but did they, did they like, 
did they end it abruptly? Did they know they were going to end it? Did they only have an idea to do like a short run of it? What was the deal? It was always kind of on the book. I mean, it, it, I think it was like six seasons or something. They were short seasons at the time. That was only, mm -hmm. they, each one would be like six episodes. Yeah. Six or eight. Um, and then the final year of it, which was the year that I worked with Judd, um, it went from hours to half hours. And it was, the, the show was sponsored. It was on Sundance Channel which I, I don't know how, you know, they, they weren't doing a ton of original programming and right. it was sponsored by Grey Goose Vodka and Condé Nast. So like it was funded <laughs> in kind of unusual way. And every year it would, it, it would sort of be on the bubble and then they'd start to try, but it was very difficult to book. It was very difficult to book, even though people really liked it, especially kind of like industry people really liked it. Um, yeah but to coordinate people's schedules was always really hard. And um, so I think it just kind of, you know, they just didn't, after whatever season it was, the, I guess the enthusiasm or momentum just wasn't there. I don't, I don't yeah. know really what ended it. I, I, I don't know. It's so weird because again, like I hope you guys do more of these and it goes in this kind of direction because I've, I think I've watched almost any kind of series that started like David Steinberg had two different versions of mm -hmm. his interview thing when he would interview comics and i think one was on tv land and then mm -hmm. that went away and then another one came back on showtime and i was like yes and then paul provenza had the green room yeah and then that fucking went away so every time i get like a little bit more i, I thought i heard a rumor that the green room is like maybe coming back or something oh dude i don't know if that's, i have no idea if that's true i might be i'm gonna i'm gonna text paul and be like listen I I I no no <laughs> i love paul Paul's what what a great guy he is he's so good he's oh, great thank god yeah yeah he's, he's great in the carlin film yeah he is yeah absolutely yeah. his yeah. he's enough but see like i think like you guys like there's um you know you and judd obviously are doing these uh paul i think is is doing another one uh i think he's had a documentary out coming out about another comedian um you know we had that one come out with um oh my god i'm blanking on his name boston comedian um it's a great documentary um you would know him because he was the uh, one who confronted his as pedophile oh, i think uh, barry crimmins that's barry crimmins great oh, oh that was that was so Bob good. Gale, yeah, that's a fucking great film. Bob, yeah, that was like a great film. And um, if anybody hasn't seen it, it's, it's called Call Me Lucky. Yes, see that's that. It. It's it's, a, it's amazing. Yeah. But all these are coming out about these amazing people, and it's just I I can't get enough of it. I just watched the uh, the Del Close one, which was really good. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Is, is it really? Good? Yeah, I really liked it. It's Sweet. called um, For Mad Men Only. Oh, nice. Really good. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Who's is there somebody that you want to tackle that you haven't gotten to yet that you really want to like your next project? You know, uh, I don't know what my next project is, um, but there's I mean, there's so many people, you know, right. I, I, I feel like if I say something out loud, it'll jinx it and it'll never happen. Oh, uh, man. I want to know who the great white buffalo is. If it was set up, I would talk about it. Or actually, I, if it was finished and ready to come out, I would talk about it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there, I mean, there's there's so many, so many. Um, and it's cool because this is, it seems like this is a moment where um, people want to see this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, is there something when you're doing a documentary like this, like about George in particular, was there anything like jarring that maybe you found out when you were making it that you weren't expecting to find out? Um, you know, I think the, uh, in terms of jarring, um, you know his his uh, his his father abusing his brother when his brother you know physically abusing his brother when he was so young and actually right. you know the violence in the Carlin household was was a surprise um, that we sort of mentioned yeah uh, you know so uh, yeah I, I I was I was 
you know, I knew, like, I think most even casual fans know about George that, you know, he was, he liked the cocaine in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, behavior and things that that led to, and just the intensity of his, you know, there's a, a scene in the film where he talks about, you know, so that he had a, he, he had a private jet at one point in the early seventies. And he tells a story about sitting alone on the jet, just, doing lines and drinking alone yeah you know and he talks about how he would you know stay up for four or five days straight just doing cocaine and screaming into a tape recorder you know it's like fuck man like that it, it, he wasn't partying you know right yeah it, it, it was yeah. it was dark it was really dark right yeah um, yeah how do you choose to like what because you guys handled i think the the family stuff and kind of that period of his life like really well like you didn't it didn't like take a dark it didn't take too much of a dark turn where you guys went deep into it because i think initially when i first saw it i was like oh man is this going to be one of those things that like we're not expecting to see like crazy behind the scenes stuff or like that's the direction but you guys like dipped into it touched on it just enough and then kind of brought it back into you know the rest of his life and career and stuff uh was that like a decision you had to make like how much time you were going to spend on it Oh yeah. I mean, you know, whenever there's big dramatic stuff, it can always threaten to take over your narrative, you know, Mm. and it becomes about that. And, but we also, we certainly didn't want to ignore it. Um, yeah. Part of who he was and part of what his story is. Um, but we also didn't want to like wallow in it, you know? Um, I think his story is bigger than that. And I think his character was bigger than, than that. Um, you know, it's like what you were saying before about, you know, there's different parts of people. And I think George was definitely somebody who compartmentalized different parts of his thinking, different parts of his life. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean the, 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 the dark shit is it's there, it's in the movie, it's part of him, but I don't think it's the overriding, um, you know, descriptor of him Mm. by a long shot, you know? And I'm going to ask you the, um, the part of the documentary where you you guys literally do this montage where you're connecting almost everything that's going on today with stuff George has said in the past, like how would that had to be an amazing thing to put together for you guys? Like, but it also had to be kind of like sad that you were probably like, Oh my God, we're reliving the same shit George talked about years ago. Like, how did you guys want to put in all that together? Was it, uh, you know, like a last minute thing? Did you know that that's where you wanted to take it or? Well, you know, what, one of the, the reasons for doing the film, um, other than, you know, kind of creating a, a historical document of this brilliant artist was, you know, it's so rare that people are talking about a comedian's material mm. so much, so long after they've passed. Um, I really can't think, I mean, the, the, before we started making the film, before it came out, while we were making the film, you know, you'd go on Twitter or whatever, and every four to six weeks, George Carlin would be trending. It's like the guy's been dead since 2008. Yeah. You know, but it would be yeah. a different piece. Or, you know, there's a thousand memes. Half of them are not quotes that he ever said. And it's, you know, the, <laughs> but a lot of them are that people are. And, and so, and, and both sides of the political spectrum and all different ways of thinking that, that um, people connect to, uh, how he expressed himself. And so we always knew that that idea and that part of his story was going to be part of the film. It's not a huge part, right. uh, but it's part of it. And um, so we, uh, very early on, we talked about doing some kind of 
montage that took us beyond the years of his death and into the present day. Yeah. And so that, that particular section took us a really long time to get right. Um, it, it's, it's really carefully calibrated and, um, you know, it, it was hard because, you know, it, 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 imagery and words are so powerful that it's like, if you juxtapose these words with this image, you feel one thing yeah. with this image, it's another. And we, you know, had to skirt really fine lines, making sure that we felt that we were being accurate to George's words and messages and values and um, putting something out into the world that we felt we wanted to put into the world, you know, yeah. that, that we've, we could get behind. And we've been criticized here and there about that editorializing. And I say, so, you know, this is what Fuck we that. want as filmmakers, you know, this is yeah. film, but we get to say something too. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with, with that part of the film. I think it works nicely and it's, it's been affecting people and, um, you know, it couldn't be more, timely in a way it felt ridiculously yeah. cathartic because i know what you're talking about that he's been in the, the you know he'll his name will resurface and he'll resurface for the right reasons too where you're like oh my god mm -hmm. he has something to say about this issue that's great but then there's those lunatics mm -hmm. you know who who like like oh george would have loved Trey. you know what i mean like freedom yeah. and blah, blah, blah. and we're like who, who, what the fuck are you watching like it's like it's like people who hear a springs it's like uh you know like a conservative who's like i love springsteen and they're playing born okay. in the usa we're born you know? in the usa Matt. Yeah. yeah and you're like are you like are yeah. you not comprehending the lyrics? Like, do you not yeah. understand what's happening? Yeah. It's well, weird. And, and I think that one of the reasons why George has continued to endure, though, too, is that, like, it's never, his material's never super topical. It's always about these larger ideas. Yeah. And like yeah. you said, like, it's fucking sad that he's still right about these things. You know, mm -hmm. we still aren't doing anything about the environment. He was talking no. about that in 1972. Yeah. You know? so, uh, there's a... a Thing in the film that is from, I think it's from Class Clown. It might be from FM and AM, but where he's talking about uh, birth control pills and and oh, yeah. you know uh, oh you know women must really enjoy getting the permission slip at the at the pharmacy right. to have sex, right. you know. And it's like we, the, the bodily autonomy. You know, we, we couldn't. Sadly, these things haven't changed. Yeah, yeah. It's insane to me too because it's like you know. I mean, obviously, we just lost Roe versus Wade. Um, they, you know, I mean, I've, I've voted Democrat. I mean, obviously look at me, you know, I mean, I vote Democrat or whatever. I'm super <laughs> liberal. I'm super to the left, you know, like all that other shit, but it's kind of funny. They are like, they do not like it if you criticize Democrats at all. And I, I posted something recently kind of being like, you know, uh, I was like Nancy Pelosi in like 2017 said, um, you know, people who are campaigning on, um, Roe v. Wade are hurting the democratic party. And it's like, you know, and I said that, and then somebody was like, you know, look at this right winger trying to blame the dem. And I'm like, I'm not right. Are you out of your fucking mind? Like, I'm like, I'm just saying what the, what our own party has said, like ad nauseum. Like, it's like, you're not allowed to fucking crit criticize anybody even to try to make them better. It's weird. I, I think part of that is just the nature of internet discourse. But, um, but, but yeah. Carlin didn't, you know, he was definitely, you know, a lefty. I mean, there's, there's yeah. no question. You know, I think right. he had a libertarian streak in certain ways. And again, the libertarianism of that time. And that was another thing that we had to take great pains to really be super careful with because of always making sure that the time in which he was saying things 
that it was clear what he was talking about, you know, especially not like in comedy now, like the whole free speech question has reared again, but it's a very different version of free speech. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, there's no comic who is being, uh, you you know, persecuted, persecuted or, or silenced or arrested for swearing on stage. Right. George was a guy who, watched that and then it happened to him and it was you know it, so it's it, i always feel like if carlin were alive now you know because you that's another thing you see online is, oh well, what would carlin say about you know whoever the you know Chappelle or who ricky gervais what sure i always feel like carlin would be more upset about the book banning than yeah. would about trans people tweeting that they didn't like Chappelle's special right yeah i i, I just I think that that's where his heart would have been. I don't know, but but that's yeah. Because I I agree. Because I mean, even in the documentary, it's always the larger issues. It's never what's distract. He was always talking about what's distracting people, what they're right. doing to give you get you off topic, so they can go fuck you over behind your back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. It's yeah. It is the internet discourse, and that's mm-hmm. the thing that's got to be an, annoying as shit. Um, I got to ask you the because uh, well, we're you're we've although. Been I'm oh, not, you gonna, go for it. Yeah, we, we definitely do have some questions. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, although I'm not going to lie, I would have loved Carlin to be around now just to watch his Twitter feed. I feel like he would have been like one of the... Do you think he would he tweet? Would, I don't know if he yes. would tweet. I don't think he, I don't think he would. I think no. he would. I don't think he would give it away. Right. <sighs> I, I don't think know. he would give it away for free. I, I don't think that he was of that. Well, Maybe he would have tweeted old material or something i mean i like i have no fucking clue See, i don't know i feel like if he i don't i don't think would he would be right away. now if he was alive uh he was born in 37 so uh let's do the math uh, right so let's say we have a 90 something year old george carlin around right now it's not really performing but wants to throw his <laughs> that, that, I'm, that I'm pretty sure of. I don't know what he'd be doing on Twitter, but I, I, I'm 99.9% sure he'd be on Twitter. Yeah. That's great. But we do have a bunch of questions, actually, from the uh, from the audience, which we usually say for this time, right before we give you the big three questions. So okay. The More, who's a loyal fan of the show, said, Carlin the big three questions. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Carlin quotes and jokes can be prolific. What, when going through his work, did any stick out to you? So many. And there are so many pieces that we couldn't fit in. You know, um, one of my favorites is his bit from, I think it's from back in town or maybe jamming in New York. Um, but uh, the, the euphemisms bit, do you guys know that about uh, yes. the shell shock and PTSD? So good. It's, it's just, it, yeah. I, I think it's just a great encapsulation of his wordplay and 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 his dissection of of how we soften language uh, to obscure meaning you know um yeah. even if you know i don't even completely agree with uh that piece but i just think it's brilliantly written and performed um yeah so many i mean yeah it, w- it was really hard to to decide what to put in and again that that was some place where it was like okay what is moving the narrative along what is illuminating a new facet of of him um it was how we kind of you know made those decisions mm. yeah jackie also wrote uh it says you were an extra and obvious child great film <laughs> she was I'm doing her own imdb yeah <laughs> I, I was a, a good friend of mine produced that film and um you know they it, it was a real indie i mean it, it became big but you know they were shooting a scene in the bar and 
my friend who was producing it, like just called all her friends and was like, who can show up and be an extra? It's like, yeah, I'll show up and be an extra. So I'm in, yeah, I am, you see me way in the back in one of the stand up scenes. Yeah. That's awesome. That's fun. That's yeah. great fun. And then oh, I know, oh, this was a good question actually, but what moments in time will define your life? That's a really good question. Um, does, I wonder if they mean like historically or, or, no, I think like uh, if, if you, if you were, if somebody else was shooting a documentary about yeah, that's, you, that's great. That's a, that's a good one. Um, I would say probably, uh, one of them would certainly be that, that screening of the movie brothers keeper, um, back mm. in 92 or 93, um, yeah. when I was in high school and, uh, that unquestionably changed the directory, the trajectory of, of my life. Yeah. What did you want to be before that? Like pre I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to I wanted to, to make movies, but but right out the gate. I hadn't, like yeah, but I hadn't thought about documentaries. You know, mm. the, I had never seen a documentary that felt like a movie to me, you know. Yeah. And that did, you know, and the humanity that they it's a great film. You really everybody should see it. It's called Brothers Keeper, Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. It's 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 great. I'll check it out. Absolutely. Definitely, I'm really definitely gonna check it out, especially because it like I find it so compelling. I, we got to have you back because I feel like there's so much of you I want to dig into as opposed to your work because I feel like that's where, like, to me, that's where, like, the really interesting stuff comes in because you had a dream from young and it never, it never like, wavered from it. Like, you kept on that pursuit of it. I, I think that's a gift, though. And I, like, I, you know, I see kids who don't know what they want to do and I, yeah. and it's hard. I think it's really fucking hard. Mm. And I never had... I never had that. I, I was really lucky, I think. Yeah. And you had like a supportive family, like when they when you were like, I'm doing this, they were like, do it. That that's your dream, go after it. For the most part, yeah. Um yeah. they weren't super stoked when I decided to drop out of college, but um, <laughs> you know, I, what were you studying in college? I was studying film at NYU. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, and you just left to do film. Which is I great. left to you to take a, a full time job with Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. I actually failed my documentary class, the one documentary class that fell, <laughs> and I, I failed because I never showed up because I was busy working at my internship. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Is there anybody that today, comedy wise, that reminds you that like, you feel like is, uh, you know, the next Carlin? Not the next Carlin, but let's say somebody who like takes up that pedestal. Because I know there's a couple in my head, but I mean, like, I, I know exactly what John's getting at. No, no. Would- and this one. Oh my god! <laughs> I just have I just have dumb long. Hair. It's just COVID hair that I'm refusing to get rid of. Is there anybody on your mind? Look, well, John, like, I, I'm, I'm I I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to feel self conscious about. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> brothers in hair. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, but like, see, like you got to interview like uh, you know contemporaries of his and the younger crowd or whatever, and you're also a comedy fan yourself. Is there somebody yeah. that you're like, oh man, this this guy's the next one? You know, the the weird and unique thing about Carlin is I don't think we'll ever see another person like Carlin because of the time that he started out in mm. and yeah. the the ability to reinvent himself so many times was so connected to the 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 time that he was in you know and i think it's it's people now are you know all comics are always trying to find their voice right and, yeah. and people yeah. do go through transformations and changes but i think that there's more likely uh, potentially perhaps a, a cynicism about somebody who changes their whole vibe and look and appearance and everything and their, their act that I think, I think 
we might not buy that today. Right. Um, well, you don't get to buy it because it it happens in real time for everybody. It happens on social media that you know, like yeah. one day, you know, um, um, Carlin was straight laced and short hair, and then the next time you saw him on TV, he wasn't. Yeah, so you yeah. didn't have you didn't yeah. have to you didn't get to watch it happening and go bullshit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we know who you are, right? <laughs> you know that that did have you know if you think about like Bobby Darren or you know I mean yeah. there, there, there's definitely some examples of people who tried to you know be hip, but I think it I don't think it was authentic. And with with Carlin, it was, and, right. and I think that people could just kind of sense that. Yeah, they did not accept that Bobby Darren when he changed right. over. Yeah. yeah, or um, oh my god, I'm or even I think about like when Metallica cut their hair, you know, like yeah, that big deal or. I mean, there's a million examples, you know. Who's but, the guy uh, who sang Garden Party? Ricky, um, Ricky oh my Nelson. god. Yes. Um, that was another that was another guy who was like a musician who did like the doo-wop yeah, stuff right, and they yeah, wanted yeah. him. And then he went the whole song Garden Party is about he went to perform at the garden with his friends and he had new songs and they were like, Fuck you, dude, you know, do what a two-year-old shit. You you know, and he was like, God damn, can a guy write a new song? What the fuck? Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't accept him. I think in music it's a little different, though. I think in comedy, I, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know, but I think yeah, it's been like you can hear the DNA of Carlin and all kinds of people. But you know, one cool thing about him, like starting off so early in comedy, you know, when stand-up was still kind of a new thing, is you know, a lot of the the, the performance craft that he honed back in the early '60s, he carried that through till later you know you yeah. still see that the, the the mugging performer that he was yeah um and a lot of just just performance technique that he honed um early on he carried through to his later stuff and and so his he always just feels kind of a little different from everybody yeah. Well, yeah, there's a, you can tell there's like a, a still like a joy to it. Like it's not all cynicism and not yeah. all like he was enjoying himself because even when we had Kelly on, she was very much like, you know, she would he would be kind of that fascinated starstruck kid when she would come back from, you know, the celebrity high school she went to and be like, so and so's kids go to, you know, and he'd be like, really, what are they like? Are they weird? You know, like just like <laughs> and that's like I think yeah. that you saw that when he was performing, even when he was doing his other stuff. Yeah, I think that was that outsider part of him that he always felt, you know, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't part of the big club, even though he was kind of the king of it. You know? I also think for me, I like when you don't get like, there. there's like the documentary side of it. When I'm watching somebody's life, I really want to know every every fucking piece you can find. Right. But when I'm watching somebody on stage, sometimes I like a little mystery. I really like that. I think I have a, uh, a hook on this guy. I think I know what his, you know, what his opinions are, but I don't know too much. And the mystery there, I think keeps you coming back to see them be creative. Cause you're like, maybe I'll get a little more here. Maybe I'll get a little more there. And then, you know, then when they're gone, then you're like, all right, now give me all of it. Right. Uh, <laughs> dig through his fucking sock drawer. I want to know everything. <laughs> they're not going to be giving us anything else. Right. Um, I have to ask you the big three so I can get you out of here because I feel bad. We, but thank you for staying, by the way. I no, appreciate it. it. This was, uh, I was nervous and you guys, this was actually fun. Oh, great. Thank awesome. You. Um, now I'm actually nervous because I don't know what the big three are and I'm so <laughs> bad and I should have come up and had prepared really cool answers. So they're going to do that. Uh, yeah. I just I just drag out three random people. I'm like one of them lives. 
<laughs> and you have to decide uh, what kind of fucking show is this um, <laughs> like squid games yeah right? exactly they haven't caught me yet they don't know where I am <laughs> the fake I've been doing this since mid pandemic <laughs> oh god um, everybody has to testify against me that'd be weird um, but on, on par for comedians these days um, I'm, I'm going to cut all that out by the way <laughs> <laughs> so uh first question is uh, you know pretty generic but uh if you go back in time and talk to your younger self at any age uh what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today um wow i think i would probably say you know i don't know because i feel like i could still use that advice so um mm. I, I think maybe it's like, I think you'll be okay. You'll, you'll be okay. Like just keep working, you know? I like that. Yeah. It's that's, I, I really like hearing that from people who are successful um, because it's, you, you get this impression that everybody is okay. And you're not like 90% right. of your, you know what I mean? Like, right. cause you're just like, I'm the fuck up. I'm the one who's not doing well. But like, I, I've talked to like 170, I think we've had like 108, 90 guests so far or whatever it is. A lot of you are like really great at putting it like exactly right where you're like, I was not okay. <laughs> like, and then just kind of hearing that I think makes people go, oh, cool. It's not just me. At the same time, it's very weird for you to hear myself referred to as successful, even though I, like I'm looking at, you know, <laughs> now it's like, oh my God, there's this cool George Carlin poster and has my fucking name on it. Yeah. But it, it is like, okay, but what's next? Like what? Like, right. You know, yeah. that, that's always... Are you yeah. good at moving away from projects I, after you're done? Pretty good. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's, that's, I think it's one of those things I'm always curious about because I feel like, uh, it's like half and half. Some people yeah. are like, Oh man, I'm like, I, we've had people who are on musicians who listen to their last album. They're like, man, I fucking, I should have really re edited that. <laughs> you know, that's why I don't really go back and look at it. Cause when I do I, occasionally it's like, fuck. Yeah. You know, that was going to be my question. Like, do you go back and watch some of your older stuff on occasion? No. It's pretty rare. Uh, yeah. Every once in a while, there's a couple of things that I'll I'll watch yeah. again because because uh, uh, you know to as good memories or something you know of the making of it. You know, yeah. I read an interview with Gene Hackman a long time ago, and he basically said he's never seen a movie he's in. He gets done, he never see, he never goes to premiere, nothing. I think that's nuts, right? And somebody was like, "Don't you want to <laughs> learn from your performance?" And he was like, "I already had the job." Right. <laughs> it's, it's like people who don't read reviews. And it's like, yeah. I mean, it's terrible usually, but, and it just, it's anxiety producing, but like, how can you like not want to know what people think of your shit? You know, I agree. I, I don't now, know. now I just feel like we need to get Gene Hackman on for me to say, you've <laughs> never seen Superman. How? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's some real classics out there where you're like, come it's on, man. Good. It's yeah. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Reeve, the ultimate Superman. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, sad man. that that's the best Superman movie they've ever fucking made. It's just yeah. 90, like, I don't, they could remake it as many times as they want. They're never going to get it better than Chris Reeve. It, well, they, that was when superhero movies could be like fun. Yeah. 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 These are fun. I'm not. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. DC fun. just kind of, you know, they don't know what to do with their God. So. I get, I get a little fun. I, yeah, I went I and watched um, Batman Returns not too long ago. Uh, Fucking yeah. so much fun. Yeah. Maybe that is. Yeah, that is a beautiful yeah. film. Yeah, they don't do hey. that anymore. No. It's, 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 it's the new one that like it was fine, like not to slag it or anything, but like, why is he the penguin? Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I don't know. And then Batman returns. He's like eating fish and he's all yeah. fucked up. It's like, yeah, that's the penguin, you know? Yeah. That's Oscar Cobblepot if I ever saw yeah. one. You know what's weird about that film? With the uh, Danny DeVito was just having lunch, and they filmed him, and they were just like, "Can we keep this?" Yeah, yeah. And this is going in. This is going yeah. in, Danny. Keep it going. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, so second question: uh, If what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? Uh, college for me. Nice. <laughs> Film school anything wrong with film school if, if you're in it and enjoying it please do it i don't want to mm -hmm. be negative about that for me personally it wasn't the most right yeah i wish people would accept experience. that more that there's just some people who do not learn that way because i think that's such a it's it's a leaves a bad stigma because i was the same way i don't learn like well that way at all and, and you'd and certainly in filmmaking like you, no one's ever one time ever asked me my degree ever it's <laughs> <laughs> a good point it's not a job that anybody gives a shit right harvard and it wouldn't matter yeah yeah and i love that you were like listen i just want to come work for you guys you were ready to pay your dues out the gate like a lot of kids mm. a lot of people now think they should go straight from like being in their parents house to tiktok superstar and no there's no in between of work like to really get hone your craft right you like yeah i want you know i just want to learn from somebody that i think is great at what they do and i think that's a big thing i just figured it was the only way i possibly could because i had no connections no right yeah so so all of a sudden that you know i get to work for free for these guys and learn some shit and yeah. be in that world that i've been dying to be in yeah. yeah i mean you know it, it was it was also luck and and privilege you know i mean I'm, yeah so yeah yeah blessed definitely blessed yeah. but i feel like a lot of the industry like a lot of the entertainment industry is connections is who you meet who you know and then like being around those people and then moving along right i mean i have to like you one thing always leads to something else yeah yeah good or bad you know so if you right. can get in somehow yeah foot in the door have a chance of figuring something out yeah. Does it like I know I've got some photographer friends who like, uh, you know, th they really practice what they do. They have a good eye for it and all this shit. And then they just see these apps that come out that are like, it draws your face. You know what I mean? And they're like, <laughs> Fucking, oh, God, this is how I make money. You know what I mean? And everybody gets to do it. Is it like that in film, too, where you where you're feel like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's it, yeah, it's a, it, I, technology is always like good and bad. You know, I mean, I think it's amazing. Yeah. Like. You know, when I was a kid wanting to be a film, you know, it was like, oh, so-and-so's uncle has a VHS camcorder we can borrow for the weekend. Mm -hmm. or, you know, I had a Super 8 camera that I got at a garage sale that I would, you know, and, That's so cool. you know, now everybody has like a, a, an HD camera in their phone. Yeah. Amazing. Right? And stuff. So it's, you know, for somebody like me who came up in the, what's now the old school, it's scary because like there's this whole generation of people of filmmakers who like grew up doing it and 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 knowing all the tools and everything and you know that's what one of the things that keeps me awake at night is like how quickly am i gonna be a fucking yeah entrepreneur, you know <laughs> you know when yeah, i was yeah. when i was younger i thought the next thing because you know people went from like vhs to you know uh to dvd to blu-ray whatever it is i was like i wonder what the next thing's gonna be it's gonna be like a hologram or we're not even gonna have to it's gonna be on our wrist or whatever it's not. It's just younger people being better at being in front of a camera, being raised from whatever, because 
there's comedians that are like brand fucking new and they suck and they have really good footage and that's it. And mm -hmm. I'm like, they have something because I'm not used to doing like, you know, uh, I, you know, I set up my camera to record my set to watch it later, not necessarily to post it immediately, but they have like right. HD fucking ang like, and all their friends are good at it. So like their friends are their right. team, you know what I mean? And they're doing it for free because they're really good at editing. Right. And I'm just like, I don't have any of that shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I have to I have to get my game up. <laughs> but I think that what ultimately wins out though is that if if you're a comedian and you and your material's no good, yes, absolutely. It's like anything else, you know, like you can have all the whatever that might get you to a certain place, but if you if you don't have the goods to back it up, it's totally it's not gonna, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um uh the last question is tied into the show. If this was a genuine dystopia more than it is now. Uh, it could be aliens. More than it is now. Okay. More than it is now. Yeah. But like absurdly more. Like aliens or zombies or a comet, like mm -hmm. uh, in Don't Look Up or, um, you know, laser, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, how would you want to go out? What would be your epic death? Last day for everybody on Earth, by the way. It would, but what would you want to be doing? What would I want to be doing or how would I want it to go down? How would you want it to go down and what would you be doing while it's going down? Okay. Um, I would want it to be like, you know, like a, 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 a comet or something like that. Those big and fast, you know, nuclear mm. explosions, ideally nice. something that you could see for a quick second. Oh, and, uh, I would be, you know, someplace in nature with my wife and other people that I love. So nice. That's Very cool. nice. Yeah, love cool. it. That's her, but yeah, no, <laughs> no that's great, man. If I, I should have done the research. I, <laughs> I thought you were going to say recording it. Like capturing that last second. That would have been good, but then who's going to fucking watch it? <laughs> when people are, you know, you're at a concert and people are like filming. It's like, dude, just you're never going to watch that footage. It's oh terrible. man, it's dude, I was, I was like, at a put it down and be in the moment. You know, yeah, yeah. I was at a Tears for Fears concert because it's 1985 again, and uh, I was, uh, um, Kurt was, you know, I can't remember what song it was, but it was like literally one of their one of their best songs. And uh, in the middle of it, he goes, "Put your fucking phones away." And then, and then, but he like worked it into the song, and I was like, "I love that he ruined it for everybody in that moment." Like, <laughs> he just yeah. worked it in. Put your fucking phones away. <laughs> like, that's not the lyric. Yeah. <laughs> so good, um, dude. It was it was a blast getting to know you a little bit better and uh, having you on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, Thank absolutely, you, man. I hope you come back. Pleasure. Anytime. Sweet. Absolutely, man. Take right, care, have man. a great one, man. Night. Take care. Peace. Dystopia tonight.